about seven and a half years with no furlough. Well, that's fine. We were prepared to do that. We were, if that was what God wanted, we were willing to do it. But when the report came back that my wife had had a heart attack, we knew it was time to pack up and go. And so um, we, we made our way back to the States. And so just to give you an update on my wife, what they have found thus far, and it has been an arduous process, if I can say it that way. I'm not complaining. I'm very thankful. But it's amazing how long it takes to get into doctors and get insurance set up and then and to, and to try to get answers. But what we know thus far is that my wife suffers from what's called coronary artery disease. She has two uh, narrowings when it's, when, it's not, uh, when it's less than 50%. They don't call it a blockage. So she has two spots where she has narrowing in her widow-maker artery. Now, uh, unfortunately, this is something that she will have to deal with for the rest of her life. And so uh, one of the difficulties we are having is finding doctors who can tell us, how do you go about treating this? Um, the doctor we're dealing with, uh, he said, hey, just come back in three years and we'll check you out. And uh, my, my, my plan is not to bury my wife. My plan is to be able to get her treatment so that we can serve together. And so uh, we're currently in the process of finding a new doctor. And uh, as a matter of fact, we have one that's been highly recommended that uh, we're going to be going to Lord willing in October. And so I certainly, we would certainly covet your prayers in that regard. Um, I will be completely transparent with you. My wife's health to me is very important. It's very important. And if the Lord says that in order to care for her, we can't go back, then we can't go back. Um, now, that's, that's not my heart's desire, but it's the reality of the situation. And so I'm not going to stand here and tell you, well, bless God, we're going to, we're going to. No, I don't know. We don't know. And so that's why we uh, so covet your prayers. It's one of the most awkward situations I've been in in my entire life. I like answers. I like to be able to tell folks, hey, this is what's going on. This is the plan. And uh, right now, I'm ha I, I really can't do that. What I can tell you, we're going to be in the book of Matthew tonight. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Very familiar passage of scripture uh, I'm not going to be. I'm not going to be preaching anything brand new tonight. There's no new thing under the sun, Amen. But I hope that what we shared this evening from the Word of God will be a blessing and encouragement, and even a challenge uh, to each of us. Matthew chapter five and verse fourteen. If you found your place in God's Word, would you please join me in standing for the reading of God's Word? I will read out loud. If you'll just follow along silently, Matthew chapter five and verse fourteen. Jesus said, "Ye." Are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And he giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Here the Lord Jesus Christ admonishes each of us to let our light so shine. And with that command, I want to ask this question as the title of my message tonight. How bright is your light? How bright is your light? Let's bow for prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the privilege, uh, the, the, just the freedom that we have to gather here tonight and to worship you in spirit and in truth.
Father, I pray tonight that, uh, Lord, you would just speak to our hearts in a very special way. Lord, we, we thank you for what we have seen tonight and just the reminder that you are working here and around the world. But, Lord, there's a work afresh and anew that we know you want to do in our hearts this evening. And so, Lord, we pray that tonight the Holy Spirit of God would work in each of our hearts and accomplish that which only you can accomplish, that you would bring forth fruit that glorifies your name. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, here we have what is perhaps the most famous sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount. This man of Galilee, his name is Jesus. He's come to this a sea of Galilee to preach to the masses. Thousands have gathered to hear what the man of Galilee is going to say. Perhaps they're wondering if he's going to rail against the unrighteous rule of the Romans. Maybe he's going to open up and criticize the, uh, the religious leaders of Jerusalem and their corrupt handling of things there at the temple. And as everyone is waiting, breathless with anticipation, Jesus begins his sermon with these words, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, years ago, while serving the United States Navy, I had the privilege of visiting Israel. I was able to stand there on the place where they believed Jesus preached this message. And it's a beautiful location with uh, uh, just gorgeous vistas over the Sea of Galilee and then the cliff sides along the other side there. And it's just a beautiful place. And I can imagine being there with those thousands listening to those first words of that Sermon on the Mount and thinking to myself, who is he talking about? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are they that mourn. Blessed are the meek. Surely he's not talking about me. Now, I imagine he's probably talking about many of you. But this description, these these positive Christian characteristics, I have to admit, they're not what I'd like them to be in my own life. And here's Jesus continues. He goes on and says, blessed are the merciful, blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are the peacemakers. My, my, I can imagine being there and looking around the crowd trying to figure out who is he talking about? Because surely he's not talking about me. But then we get down to verse 13 and Jesus goes from the hypothetical or the theoretical and he brings it right down to where you and I are. He says, ye are the salt of the earth. If you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, whether you like it or not, the Lord Jesus Christ has declared that you and I are the salt of the earth. You and I are the light of the world. What a responsibility we have. And some people would say, well, wait a second. How can we be the light of the world when the Bible clearly states that Jesus is the light of the world? You know, that's interesting you say that. A lot of people seem to think that there are contradictions all through the word of God. But you know something? The only problem with the word of God is our lack of understanding. And you know what, Pastor, I find out? It's not even our lack of understanding because I don't have trouble with what I don't understand. What I have trouble with is the things I do understand, the things that God's told me to do or not to do, and I have struggle obeying. 
You know, while I was there in Micronesia, because of the radio ministry, we would be called upon often to visit official functions or take part in official functions. And I remember one time being at the United States Ambassador's residence, and the United States uh, Embassy's charge was there, and he, he found out that I was a missionary. A dumb missionary. And he decided he was going to have a little fun with the dumb missionary. And so he began to badger me and ask me some rather pointed questions. And he said, hey, hey, missionary, what about all those errors in the Bible? Well, this got, this got plenty of attention from some of the other ambassadors and dignitaries. And the room got kind of quiet. And I said, well, sir, what, what are you referring to? He said, oh, you know, all those errors, all those problems in, in the Bible. I said, sir, I've been studying the Bible for years. I assure you, I haven't found one yet. What are you talking about? He said, oh, well, there's just the Bible's filled with all these problems, all these errors. I said, well, if you be specific, I'll be happy to do my best to address it, sir. And he couldn't come up with one. And finally, I said this to him. I said, sir, um, did you arrive at this conclusion that there are so many errors in the Bible through your own personal study of the word of God? Oh, he got very quiet. He said, well, no, I I read a book by an eminent scholar. An eminent scholar, right? You got to stretch the M when you say that. And and I said, well, you know, sir, and by this time, it is dead quiet in the room. Everybody is going to see what the dumb missionary is going to say. I thank God for the Holy Spirit giving us the words because what came out of my mouth next, I would have never thought of on my own. I looked at that man and I said, I said, sir, don't you think it's intellectually dishonest to criticize a book that you have never read? I said, but don't worry, I'll get you a copy. And I'm here to tell you there are no contradictions in the word of God. We can stand on it from cover to cover. It is our guide through life. Folks, I want you to understand this. There are no contradictions. Jesus is the light of the world, but so are we as believers. As a matter of fact, when Jesus was born, his parents took him to the temple. And you'll remember there was an older gentleman by the name of Simeon. And he said this about Jesus, that he would be a light to lighten the Gentiles. In John chapter 1 and verse 9, we're told that Jesus was that true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. And so... uh, Here in John chapter 8 and verse 12, Jesus himself says, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. So how is it possible? How is it possible that the Bible clearly says that Jesus is the light of the world, yet Jesus himself said we are the light of the world? Well, I think we find an indication of this in John chapter 12 and verse 32. The Bible says, as a matter of fact, the Lord himself said, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. Verse 36, believe in the light that ye may be the children of light. You see, what makes it possible for Jesus to be the light of the world and for you and I to be the light of the world is the cross of Calvary. Some 2,000 years ago, Satan and his minions thought they had won the victory. They were prepared to usher in an eternal kingdom of darkness as Jesus, our Savior, was nailed to that old rugged cross. And as they lifted that cross up, the sky grew dark 
as night. The earth began to shake. And as the devil began his his fiendish dance, Jesus cried out, It is finished. And from that point, a light of hope beamed forth from the cross. The earth shook and the the veil was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. And can I tell you something? Jesus won the victory for you and I. He paid our sin debt in full on the cross of Calvary, defeated Satan and his minions, and he is the hope today for us. I want you to know Jesus is the light of the world, not only yesterday, but today. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 21 and verse 23, And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it. For the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. That celestial city will be illuminated, uh, not by lights, not by LEDs, not by the sun or the moon, but by Jesus Christ himself. He is the light of the world. You see, Jesus radiates the light, but you and I as believers, we reflect that light. That's what we are called to do. We are called to live lives of obedience to Almighty God and simply reflect the light of Christ. God is not asking us to radiate some kind of light of our own. He's not looking for us to produce some kind of uh, um, some some kind of personality or some kind of charismatic thing. He wants us to simply obey His word, and in doing so, we reflect the light of Jesus Christ into the darkness of this world. Now, I want to ask a question tonight. How many of you are Jewish? Or maybe, maybe you're of, of Jewish descent. Anybody? Anybody? I, according, according to family, and, and, and really there's no permanent record of it, I am, I'm this much Jewish. You see my pinky? I'm that much Jewish, okay? Do you know what that makes us tonight? That makes us Gentiles. Gentiles. And I want you to know something. God cared enough about the Gentiles to send a specific apostle to reach the Gentiles. We find out about that in Acts chapter 26, where Jesus meets Saul on the road to Damascus. And he tells him, here is the purpose of your mission. In verse 8, you're going to go to the Gentiles to, quote, open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive the forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. We are the direct beneficiaries of the obedience of the Apostle Paul. God called him to reach the Gentiles, and he went out, and he did that, and we benefit to this very day. Why? Because one believer chose to let the light of Christ shine in his life. I want to ask you today, how bright, how bright is your light? You see, God wants each of us to reflect his light. Now, I want to ask a question tonight. You say, wait a minute, this isn't Sunday school. You're not allowed to ask. Well, no, I'm preaching. I can ask questions. That's how it works. And so I want to ask tonight. Um, very, it's a simple question. It's a simple question. And I, I, that's why I wish the young people might have still been here because I like to really... Ask, ask the young people questions. But we got some young guys over here, too. So that'll be all right. Maybe they can, maybe they can tune in. I know older folks, they're like, I don't want to answer questions. It's, I don't know what that's all about. I'll, so here's the question. We just had a full moon not too long ago. Messed up the meteor shower. I hate when that happens. But anyway, 
when you have a full moon, how much light does the full moon emit? Oh, trick question. No, any answers? I'll, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. I'll even let you team up. If you need to phone a friend, that's okay. <laughs> I'm just curious. How much, how much light does the moon emit? Careful. Oh, that's right. Not, that, that's exactly, I heard zero back here. That's exactly, I don't have any candy. I'm sorry. Is that okay? I don't have any candy. There's some down here, right? Wait, here you go. Yeah, you're entitled. Afterwards, we'll get you some candy. Uh, that's exactly right. The moon emits no light of its own. It simply reflects the light of the sun. That's it. That's it. And think of how important the moon has been to mankind throughout the centuries, throughout the millennia. And all it does is reflect the light of the sun. That's what you and I are called to do. We're not called to come up with something special on our own. We just simply need to reflect the light of God's dear son. I want to ask you, is that important today? Is it important today? Can I tell you it's more important than it's ever been? Right now, the United Nations recognizes 195 countries, one of those currently being devoured in Eastern Europe. I hope you're praying for our Ukrainian brothers and sisters. I'm getting reports of things that they're experiencing that are absolutely horrific. I hope you will pray for those folks. I hope you are praying for those folks because they need our prayers. 195 countries, 6,500 to 6,800 spoken languages. 16,562 people groups in this world. And we are rapidly approaching 8 billion souls on the face of the planet. 8 billion. Not million. Billion. And every one of them needs to hear the gospel. And so many of them have not. Never, in my opinion has the need been greater to shine our light into the darkness than today. We Listen, folks, whether you like it or not, we are the people of light. But number two, I want you to notice something, the placement of light. In verse 14, Jesus says this, A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Now, uh, I notice you folks have some lights in the auditorium, lights along the ceiling here on this side, lights along the ceiling on that side, other lights that are strategically placed. I notice you don't have any lights underneath the pews. Did, did you notice that? Now, there are some churches that are doing that, okay? And they usually have smoke machines on the platform and disco lights and all that kind of stuff. Um, I'm not sure that you can rightly call them churches, but a lot of places doing that. I thank God for churches like this one that are sticking by the stuff. Amen? Amen. There's nothing, nothing wrong with the old paths. Okay? We don't need to reinvent the wheel. We can stick by the stuff. Don't remove the ancient landmarks. Amen? That's another message. But I want you to know something. These lights have been placed where they will be of the greatest benefit. Now, maybe I can illustrate it this way. You know, last year, uh, we ended up going to a lovely place for the winter called Michigan. <laughs> yeah, my, my sentiments exactly. And uh, by the way, let me just encourage you, if you're going to visit Michigan, 
go now. Okay, go now. Don't wait till the winter time. I remember it was so cold. We had, I think, about two weeks straight where it never got out of the teens. One day I was with my son. We went to the went to the gas station, and I got out, and I filled the truck up with gas. And before I got back in, I had frostbite in my fingers. I looked at my son, and I said, uh, I said, Benjamin, I know that I grew up in Michigan, but I have no idea how I survived. It was so ridiculously cold. But while we were there, we were going to have one of the, the best experiences of our lives, or so we thought. It was going to be our very first Christmas ever with my son's Mimi and Papa. 14 years old. He's never had a Christmas with his Mimi and Papa. And we were planning on having that. We were so excited. And then COVID struck. And I thought, you know, we'll be over this in a couple days. No, sir. It put the whooping on us like I have never had in my life. We battled it for about a week, and I could see my wife's health was in steady decline. Took her to the hospital. I nearly passed out driving. I was so weak. We got to the doctor's office. They said, well, she'll be staying with us. She is not going home. And they kept her for nearly two weeks. Well, as the days wore on, uh, Christmas was drawing near. And it was obvious we weren't going to be spending Christmas with family. We were going to be quarantining for Christmas. Maybe they ought to have a song about that, quarantine for Christmas. Anyway, (laughs) and so here we are, my son and I, we're in quarantine. My wife's in the hospital. We, by the way, we followed all the CDC guidelines and wore the mask and did the proper blah, 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 all that stuff, which now, because it's close to an election, doesn't matter anymore. Did I just say that out loud? Can we scratch that? At any rate, the views reflected here do not, yeah, anyway, you know what I'm saying. It's interesting how things change, but at any rate, we followed the guidelines, and so my son and I, we went to the store, and and we got some Christmas presents for my wife, and I remember getting uh, a teddy bear. It was probably the most pathetic teddy bear you've ever seen, right? Some other things. We put it all in this little Christmas box, and on Christmas Day, we went to the hospital. It got there, and how can we help you? Well, I'd like to see uh, Mrs. I would like to see Mrs. Ivan. Oh no, sir, she's in the COVID ward. You could forget about that. I used to think that the Grinch was a fictitious character, but I think I met him that day, or her. I think it was a her actually. But uh, I understand they had rules they had to follow, and it's for the benefit, uh, the greater good of the public. And I, and I do understand that. And by the way, this these folks, uh, let me just say, they did a fantastic job. They really took good care of my wife. I know that not everybody can echo that with their own experience, um, but they really did a fantastic job. And so I said, listen, it's Christmas Day. I really want to get this, this to her. And they said, well, you, I'm sorry, sir, you can't go up there, but we can take it to her. And I said, well, if you do that, I'd greatly appreciate it. And so the nurse came. She took the box. My son and I, we went out to the uh, parking garage, got in the car, got on the phone with my wife, and they brought that box up, and she began to open it, and she pulled out the ugliest teddy bear you've ever seen, and she began to cry. And I'm on the other end of the phone, and I began to cry. I look over at my son. He's laughing his head off, you know, teenagers. <laughs> they think everything's funny. And, and, and in that moment, I... I I just, I just thought, boy, this, this was not, this is not how I was planning to spend Christmas. 
And so uh, my son and I, we, we drove home, drove back to the place we were staying and had our, had our Christmas dinner. And then as we wound things down for the evening, I remember getting along with God. And um, I know that when you folks have missionaries in, they are super spiritual. <laughs> but I hate to disappoint you. I'm not one of the super spiritual missionaries because um, I, really, I really struggled with that. And I remember sitting there and just sort of talking to myself, talking to the Lord, but, but just quietly and saying, Lord, you know, um, this isn't what I wanted. I want to I be with my wife. It's Christmas. I mean, of all holidays, it's Christmas. I mean, forget that we can't even see Grandma and Grandpa. I mean, my wife, she's in the hospital, Lord. What, what is it? What's going on? And the Lord reminded me of the conversations that I would have with my wife. Every day we talk on the phone, and somewhere in, in our COVID fog... The conversation would go something like this at some point. Honey, please pray for the doctor. I got to witness to him today. Honey, please pray for my nurse. I got to tell her about Jesus today. Honey, please pray for the orderly that came to clean my room. I got to share some scripture with them today. I want you to understand something. Never in a million years would I have chosen to put my wife in the hospital for Christmas. But God said, I know a place that's incredibly dark where the people that work there have no hope. And I am going to place somebody there that will be faithful to reflect my light. I want to ask you tonight, where has God put you? Where has he placed you? You say, whoa, Brother Ivan, let's listen. You have no idea. The place I work, those guys, they, they walk around scratching themselves like cavemen. They're the first generation to stand upright in their families. You have no idea. Well, maybe I don't. But God does. Maybe we've got some people here that have uh, young people in the, Christians, or in the, uh, in the public schools. And some Christian schools, by the way. I don't listen, I don't know where God has you, but God knows. And He has you there for a purpose. He has you there for a reason. And that reason is to let your light shine. There's a purpose behind the placement of the light. Not only do we see the people of light and the placement of light, but I want us to move uh, quickly here to number three the purpose of light. In verse 16, Jesus says this, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Now, I could go around this room and say, How do we glorify God? And I would get probably a different answer from every person. But the Bible makes it clear that one of the ways that we glorify God is found in John chapter 15 and verse 8. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. So shall you be my disciples. When we see folks come to know Christ as Savior, and we disciple them, we educate them, bring them along, and they grow in the faith, that, my friend, glorifies God. You know, it's interesting. 
we uh, meet all kinds of different people there in Micronesia. And uh, we meet people that are, call themselves missionaries. And some of them are there and they want to provide clean drinking water. And, and listen, I'm all, listen, I'm all for clean drinking water. Amen? Amen. Amen. And, uh, you know, some people come and they want to heal the sick. And, and I think that's fantastic. Some people come and they want to educate the underprivileged. But I'm going to ask you tonight. If you go in and you educate the underprivileged to the point they have a doctorate's degree, and in doing so they realize they need to drink the clean water so they don't get sick, and that allows them to live a long, healthy life, and they die and go to hell. Now, I'm not saying I'm against those things. Don't misunderstand me. But if that's all we do, in the long run, did we really help them? No. No, you see, there's a purpose for the good works. And that's for folks to come to know Christ as Savior. Now, that brings me to back to my, my questions. I see some of you getting sleepy. So I'm going to go ahead and call on you because you're sleepy. That's the rules. That's how I work. Okay, wake up. That's all I got to say. Here, here it comes. See, people, you, they get nervous when I do that. that that's nervous keeps you awake, so that's good. All right, I want to ask you this about the moon. We were talking about the moon earlier, the full moon. And so I want to ask you this. How much, now we already figured out, the moon doesn't emit its own light. It simply reflects light. But how much of the sunlight that hits it is reflected back out into outer space? How much of the sunlight that hits the, I'm looking for a percentage, by the way. I'm looking for a percentage. I'm not looking for lumens. Uh, bazillion, quadrillion. Yeah, I'm not Google, Google. Yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not looking for that. How many, how, how, what percent would you say? And I'll even take a round number. And I'll give away all this chocolate that's up here if you get it right. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> how much did you say, Brother Porter? 78%. Good night. You want to talk about some global warming. Woo-wee. Yeah, no, it's, it's a little bit lower than that. It's actually a lot lower than that. So, ooh, we're getting in the, you're heading in the right direction, but that's actually more than double. More than double. It's okay, so I, w- I would have taken, you would have gotten M&Ms on 10%, right? But nobody got 10%. It's 9.1%. Now, that's the average. Uh, there are areas that reflect 3%. There's areas that reflect as high as 12%, but that's the highest. Think of how bright the moon is in the night sky, and yet it's only reflecting 9.1% of the light that hits it. The rest is absorbed. Fascinating, isn't it? I wonder, how much of the Lord's light do we reflect into this dark, dismal world? All right, now i got to ask you one more question. One more question about the moon. All right. We have, there's all kinds of different, there's the wolf moon, there's the blue moon, there's the strawberry moon, all these different moons, right? But there's one moon in particular that I think is really important, at least to us and our, our, uh, our ancestors, and that is the harvest moon. Now, I want to ask you, how do we define harvest moon? Anybody want to venture a guess? They're like, where'd they get this guy, man? <laughs> All right, I'll just give it to you. How about that? So 
The harvest moon is either the last full moon of summer or the first full moon of autumn. And the reason it was named the harvest moon is because our ancestors, or at least most of us, were farmers. Now, a few of you look like maybe hunter-gatherers, but uh, okay, most of us come from, from folks who farmed, all right? At least, at least in the recent history. And so uh, farmers, in the old days, it was incredibly important for them to get the harvest in. And the better the crop, the better the harvest, the more likely you would survive through the coming winter. Okay, a good harvest meant you might survive a bad harvest could be certain doom. And what was very interesting was that God would send the full moon at just the right time, it seems, because as they would be bringing in the harvest, as they would be getting those crops in, the sun would be setting, and as that full moon, that last full moon in summer, or the first full moon in autumn would come up, it would rise early in the evening. So that as the sun went down, the moon was already up. So as they're working feverishly to get this crop in, they're now able to work on into the evening and sometimes through the night, bringing in a harvest. You see, that's what you and I are called to do. We're called to simply reflect the light of God's dear son into the darkness of this world that we might glorify God by bringing in a harvest. A harvest of souls here and around the world. Now, I want you to know that it's incredibly important that each of us let our light shine. Why? For the glory of God and for the hope of man, because this world is without hope. Now, I want to share this story and we'll be done. On July the 30th, 1945, 15 minutes after midnight, the greatest tragedy the greatest single tragedy to strike the United States Navy took place. The Japanese Imperial submarine I-58 surfaced, and when it did, out there in the Philippine Sea, actually in part of Micronesia, uh, in our neck of the woods, they spotted a heavy cruiser. And when they did, they launched their torpedoes, and two of them sank deep into the side of the hull of the USS Indianapolis. They exploded with such violence that the ship sunk in less than 12 minutes. And when it did, it took with it some 300 servicemen to a watery grave. Another 895 uh, sailors and marines would enter into the water not knowing when or if they would ever be rescued. That next morning, they found that many of the sailors uh, had died from their wounds that took place the night before. And as the sun rose, uh, many of the sailors were, were thrilled to feel the warmth of the sun on their cool faces. But by the time noon came around, they realized what a dreaded enemy the sun would be as it would burn their delicate skin to a crisp covered in oil and burns and having sores from the salt water, being burnt by the sun, being challenged by the sharks. These men had no hope. Some of them would become so thirsty that they would resort to drinking the salt water, which would only serve to make them insane and then kill them. Others 
would succumb to the elements, still others would be taken by the sharks. The first day, one day became two, two became three, and quickly these men were running out of hope. You see, what they didn't know was that they had been on a top secret mission. They had been to the coast of California where they had loaded half of the United States fissile material onto the USS Indianapolis. The Indianapolis then raced across the Pacific to an island called Tinian in the Micronesian Islands. And there it offloaded that material which was then placed into bombs, special bombs, that would be dropped on Japan, the first atomic bombs ever used in war, Lord willing, the last. And those bombs brought about an end to that horrific war. But because of the nature of their mission, because everything was top secret, when they left Tinian, no one knew where they were going and no one knew to expect them. No one knew that they needed to be rescued. But on that fourth day, what can only be described as an act of providence, a PV-1 Ventura surveillance plane was flying in the area. Normally they would fly very high, looking down for the silhouettes of Japanese submarines. But today they were using an experimental uh, array, antenna array, and so they were flying much lower. And as they were flying, the antenna array came loose and began to beat on the fuselage of the plane. And so as it was beating on the plane, the pilot said, hey, listen to the co-pilot. I'm going to go back and see if I can't fix that. It's driving me crazy. And so he made his way back into the plane, and he grabbed something, and he opened a window, and he was going to place it, wedge it between that fuselage and the antenna array. And he looked out, and he noticed... There was a sheen on the water, and there was debris. And so he came back, and he said to his, his co-pilot, he said, listen, I, I, think, I think there's been a shipwreck. We need to go down lower and take a look. And so they did. And as they flew low, they saw uh, pieces of trash and debris from the ship. They saw clearly now the oil sheen, but then they saw something unusual. There were these clusters of little white dots, clusters. And they realized those were the heads of survivors bobbing in the open ocean. Immediately, that pilot broke radio silence and called back to the nearest base, which was over a thousand miles away. Ducks on the pond! Ducks on the pond! And a rescue attempt was initiated at that time. The problem was, those ships were so very far away. Later in that day, there was a, an, a, a, um, a seaplane that had been flying in the area and they heard the distress call, so they came in low, and they saw these survivors in the water. And so the pilot of that plane turned to his crew, and he said, Listen, to land this thing in the open ocean is almost suicidal. He said, But I'm willing to do it to save some of these men, but I won't do it unless you're all with me. They took a vote. It was unanimous. They set the plane down in 12-foot seas. It completely destroyed the plane, but it did not sink. And in the process, they were able to save almost 50 men. The problem was, there were still hundreds more left in the water, and it was now getting dark. As the fourth day turned into the fifth night, many of the men were losing hope, some even resorting to suicide. But there was a ship that was relatively close making its way towards the rescue zone. It was the USS Doyle. And as it was still hundreds of miles away, the captain turned to the first mate 
And he said to the first mate, turn on the spotlight. The first mate said, sir, I don't understand. He said, I I told you, turn on the spotlight. You see, the captain, Captain Clater, he understood these men were running out of hope. And so he, they turned on that spotlight and they shone it uh, into the sky in the direction of the rescue zone. And here's what one of the survivors had to say about that light. My greatest jubilation came after dark. We could see a great beam of light that appeared to come down from heaven. I am for one convinced it came from God, although it came to us from the first ship to arrive on the scene. I am forever grateful to the men of the USS Doyle. Survivor William Akins. Another survivor, Edgar Harrell, Marine Edgar Harrell, said this, Its rays beamed a light of hope that pierced the cold darkness of death. By the time that they finished, 316 servicemen would be rescued. Of the 1,195 that were aboard that ship. Now, some of us might think, well, you know, that's not very many. That's not a very good ratio. That's not very good results. Can I tell you something? It meant the world to those 316. It meant everything to those who survived. And can I tell you, you and I as believers, we're survivors. And I hope it meant the world to you that somebody took the time to shine the light of the gospel into your life. And God has called us to do the same, to shine that light into the darkness. And friends, it's never been darker in my lifetime than what I see right now. But if we fail to share the gospel, if we fail to let God reflect his light in our lives, I want you to understand the Bible tells us If our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. The command of our Lord was simple. Let your light so shine. So in closing tonight, I want to ask you this question. How bright is your light? Let's bow for prayer. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that you have not commanded us to come up with some kind of light of our own to try to stir something up within ourselves. You've called us to simply obey your word and in doing so, to glorify you through seeing souls saved. Lord, I pray that tonight you'd help each of us to examine ourselves, to see, are we letting letting the light shine? Or are we closet Christians, undercover, secret service Christians that nobody even realizes has a relationship with you? And Lord, For those of us who are letting the light shine, would you help us to let it shine even brighter? Help us to shine it into the darkness of this world, to the eight billion souls that are on this planet, some of which who have never heard. Help us each to be people of light. 
joyfully serving you in our place of light for the right purpose, for the glory of God, and for the hope of man. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Pastor, come close the service as you see fit.